Well, we're going to get into God's Word here in a, a moment. But I want to just talk to you for a moment to, to introduce a message. You know, I, I was thinking this week about um, some dilemmas that I know that uh, people through my, my history of ministering to, to folks even before I was a pastor, what seems to be a dilemma for a lot of people. And as I begin to think about that and read God's Word, I realize that's a very common dilemma that's gone on since the beginning of time. And that's one thing. We, when we search for a God, for a Creator, the real task, the real difficulty is connecting ourselves to that, to that uh, creator in a way that we have faith that he is going to come through for us. You know, many times people, they don't really come seeking God because everything's going really great in their life. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you remember when you first uh, gave your heart to God, how were things going when that happened? Were things just rosy? It might have been. You might have thought everything was great until you walked into a message where the Holy Spirit uh, was using the minister to speak a word and you, you realize things are not like you thought. But we know one thing's for sure, that even at Jesus' time, people were dealing with the same struggle. Even with Jesus saying this, he is the Son of God performing miracles in front of living human beings. You see, the mistake is, is to think, and many people, if they've not done the research, to think that the Bible is only fairy tales, that it's imaginary. But even those who want to disprove the Bible will agree uh, to the terms that those people actually lived. There's historical records. We know that we're dealing with real live people who had real life dilemmas. What they do discount is the miracles that took place. My wife and kids, I don't have time to chase too many rabbit trails here, but I tell you, if you get a chance, uh, was, uh, Netflix, it was okay, but we found it better on YouTube. The Shroud of Turin. Anybody familiar with that? I've mentioned it once before. This is what is believed to be the burial cloth of Jesus. And a lot of people don't realize because here's the interesting thing. If it is really incredible news about something to do with Jesus, do you know it really doesn't hit mainstream media? Many of you, if you watch the documentary on the Shroud of Turin, you're going to be blown away that that didn't, how did I not know about this? Because uh, they, for a long time, thought that they disproved that this was the burial shroud of Jesus. Now, I'm not going to take a stake either way. I'll let you watch the documentary on the Shroud of Turin. Uh, like I said, you find one on YouTube is a little better than the one on Netflix. But there is an image that is, well, they can't even say burned into. There is an image of this man who has been crucified that every bit of it fits Jesus and the account of Jesus. And that image is not painted on. They prove that. It's not been manufactured that somehow from a very intense bright light, something similar to a laser, actually they equate it to something similar to your copier as light would pass over that. But it's been put into this, but they've proven now that it actually does date from the time of Jesus. There, there's evidence that this very well could be the burial cloth of Jesus. The Catholic Church has had on display for centuries and centuries, and they would never let anybody really uh, check it out. But a lot of research was allowed to be done, and so they're looking at this, but this image, when they, when they finally looked at it, you think you're looking at an older man with white beard, but it's because of it, it's like a negative. It's literally like a, a, a photographic negative that's put into this, this ancient cloth. And so there was no technology to be able to do that then. The only thing they can figure is the glory of God, put it in there. But they were able to take the new technology and take that image and make it, once again, three-dimensional. And literally, when they did this, potentially you're looking at the face of Christ. And so it's really interesting because, um, and I didn't plan to get far into this, but the real interesting thing is they then made a bust off of that, you know, made a head off that, 
and then put it on a copier to reverse the process of what they think happened to see if it matched and it did. So, so there, is, there is things that the world by large, e- even somewhat, somewhat educated atheists who are ignoring, who are completely ignoring a blaring evidence, there's supernatural events that happen at this time. But here's what Easter is. You know, what is it? It's the power of the resurrected Savior to work in someone's life and to bring change. That's what this day is about, Resurrection Sunday. In fact, we'll find that uh, in our own lives, um, that, that in our own lives, that it's the power to resurrect us from a dead and dying person, spiritually. I have a little technical difficulty myself. We do know that, that over time that it's been celebrated in many different ways, but this is an ancient, if you will, this is an age-old celebration today as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Because here's the deal. Apart from Christ, we have the tendency to pour ourselves into things uh, in life that ultimately, when they aren't all what they thought we thought they would be, when they don't work out like we thought, and we realize the emptiness of what we poured our lives into, we realize in that moment there's really only one thing that can, that can fill this God-shaped hole in our life, and that is a relationship with God. You know, sometimes I've been there. I've been there just like many of you. I've been there beating my head against the wall. Why is my life like this? Why do I feel emptiness? Why, why do I continue to have this heartache, this loneliness? I have people around me. I have friendships. I have a spouse. I have loved ones, but I still feel empty. What is that emptiness about? You see, there is this God-shaped hole in everyone's heart that can only be filled by him. And, and that he loves us and he wants to work in our life. And, and that's the entire theme of Scripture. If you want to wrap up the whole Bible in one theme, it's God wanting relationship with his creation. In fact, you can take the Bible and divide it in two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And when you come to the New Testament, there's 27 books, of which four of them deal with the story of Jesus, and who is God in, in the flesh, who came in human form in the flesh, to this earth to show us what God is like up close and up personal. One book in history, that's the book of Acts. We then, after that book, we have 21 books that in essence tell us how God wants to work in our life through Jesus and, and the, the difference he can make in our life. And then the last book of Revelation, which is the book of prophecy. And really what it answers is what God is like, uh, what, does he, uh, what does he want to do, uh, what does he want to say to us? And that is really the book that tells us how he wants to communicate with us. Maybe you're here this Easter Sunday morning and, and you love the Lord and, and, and you want to follow him and you have this burning in your heart to know more about him. And, and as we begin to go through this message this morning, you're like, right on, that's exactly what I wanted to hear on Easter Sunday morning. But for others, you may very much be in the place where you've been living life but you have not been living it the way that you, uh, uh, in a way where you have had that personal relationship and connection with Lord Jesus Christ. And you haven't yet discovered the wonderful things He can do in your life. And, and to take a journey um, you would never have imagined. Here's the, here's the mistake we also make as those who have not yet found a relationship with the Lord is we sometimes think that we're giving up a life to gain boredom, to follow Christ. 
But, but that many times comes from only observing religion and religious in its religious nature uh, of ritual and especially those that come from more of a liturgical background where there was just certain things you did and you didn't know why you did them. You just did them because it was part of doing church. But a relationship with God is far more than that. It's far deeper. It's more intense. It's exciting every day. And so you've learned a little bit more about the gospel. And in fact, uh, when you read these texts uh, in the New Testament, you learn a lot about him, who he is and what he's like, and what he might say in a situation. Very interesting to see what Jesus might say in varying situations. And that, that it's, what I love about the resurrection story is that it's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this morning I want to direct your attention to John chapter 20 and an encounter Jesus had with his disciples. This is after the resurrection. This is when Jesus begins to appear to his disciples in the supernatural. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 22 will be our main text for today. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples uh, we're, uh, we're glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. When you come to John chapter 20, it's uh, Sunday night of the day of the resurrection. Jesus had already, uh, uh, that Easter, uh, Jesus had already appeared to two women, Mary Magdalene and another woman. And now at night there are the disciples and they have gathered together and are afraid. And there's a reason why, because just a few days earlier, Jesus had been uh, arrested, had been falsely accused, and was sentenced to a criminal's death by, execution, or by crucifixion. And now the people who had crucified him, this is literally the Jews, the people who were supposed to be followers of the one true God, the disciples are afraid that they too are going to be arrested and so they have the doors locked. Now I would too, wouldn't you? If you had witnessed what we know of that crucifixion, simply for the fact of what he proclaimed to be, that those who proclaimed to follow him because of who he was, would they not be sure to receive something of equal punishment? And not only were they dealing with that fear, not only were they in that room totally petrified of what's coming next because Jesus who had had the answer for everything, right? Jesus who had known what to say at the right time, where to go. He performed miracles. He could walk on water. All these things that they knew and personally had seen and also had heard of, he's not there now. So they're dealing with that fear, but you can imagine how they felt as they were also dealing with the disillusionment of having thought life was going to turn out one way that Jesus was going to conquer the Roman Empire and set up his kingdom there. But finding out it was turning out another way, and for three years they walked with Jesus, they heard him speak, they saw miracles, what he had done, and now all of a sudden, what they thought was going to be a, an amazing future, that they were going to be seated by their king, and, and there was this sense that somehow it hadn't turned out like they thought. He had said he was God, but it didn't work out like they thought. 
Some of you know exactly what that feeling's like. You thought God was going to come through. You thought God was going to work in a certain way, and it didn't happen. And it left you disillusioned, wondering if God's there, wondering if He cares, wondering what your future will be like because you thought you could trust Him with it. But it didn't work out like you thought. I hear this many times why people say I can't just get into a body of believers because I've been disappointed by this church. I've been hurt by this person. Or I just don't trust the, the, uh, the people in the church. Or I don't uh, trust God with my future. And it's because they, like the Jews, or like the, they, they, like the followers of Christ, they thought, hey, things are going to turn out one way. And when they didn't, it must be that God is not powerful like I thought. That he's not in control like I thought. Because it didn't happen the way I thought it should happen. No doubt they're sitting there thinking about what all had happened on that Thursday night after eating a meal with Jesus. And Jesus tells them, listen, I'm telling you, one of you is going to betray me. And and you're all going to desert me and you're all going to fall away. And here Peter, we talk about him a lot. Peter is like the spokesman. Remember, I, I, I keep telling you this, Peter seems like that kid in class that you had where the teacher gives the instructions, long instructions about the test, and you were daydreaming so you missed half of it. And then all of a sudden you realize you need to know that, but you're too embarrassed to raise your hand and ask. And, and you don't want to ask anybody else because then that's proof that you're, you're, you're an idiot, you feel like, you know, right? And then there's that one person, they're bold, they don't care what anybody thinks. Hey, I missed everything you said, can you tell us again? And, and you're thankful for that person, right? So Peter's this guy, he's the outspoken spokesperson. Peter's the guy that raises his hand to the teacher and says, I, I didn't quite get that. But Peter also, he, he was a man who wanted with all his heart to, to serve the Lord. And he said only, this is what he says, I can't vouch for the rest of these guys, but I can tell you this. When Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, all of you are going to desert me. Peter says, I can tell you this, you can count on me. Now how many times have I said that with all my heart, meaning it, you can count on me, brother, I'm going to come through for you. And then something happens, right? And you find yourself eating those words. I will not leave you, Peter says. I'm willing to die with you. I'll go to prison. I'll be executed. You can count on me, Jesus. And all the others said the same thing, the Bible says. Jesus looked at Peter and and Jesus says to Peter, let me tell you something, Peter. Before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And it came to pass. So here they are, not only living with the disillusionment, not only dealing with their fear, but now there is a sense that they have let God down and that they've been less than what they had been just a few hours ago before they're marching with the, with the Son of God, right? Uh, waiting for the kingdom to come here and deliver other people from captivity and the victory, and they're excited, and we're on the winning team, and then our leader gets slain. And not only that, that all that allegiance they pledged pledged him they found when the heat was on where'd they go and i'm going to tell you something to not offend anybody but no matter where you lead pastor or otherwise you're going to feel this hurt if you become a leader you're going to feel this hurt where you know people say hey we're all behind you we're there we're with you we we think that's great things we'll be there when you need us and oh i got this thing oh oh i well you know what i really can't put myself in that position Uh, well well you'll have to understand this is really not what i thought it was going to be And they deserted Jesus. And it's really, really beautiful what it says in verse 19. John chapter 20, verse 19, Jesus appears to the disciples. And on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came in and he stood among them. 
Now you read through Scripture, and if you're not really letting the Lord uh, lead you and guide you, you just pass over this part because that's just the part of where he gets to what he says. But there's significance in everything Jesus does. Every bit of the word is good for teaching and correcting and reproofing. And you've got to look at this. That he comes in, and it's important that he come in and stood among them. It's so cool to look in and to see that the door's locked, but Jesus is able to, because of his resurrection into the glorified state, to get into that locked room. That Jesus, because of his resurrection, can go where most people can't go. That Jesus can go where no counselor can go. That Jesus can, can go in, into our life where no doctor can go. That Jesus can go where no, uh, no companion, no spouse, no, no one can go, or no friend, or anyone can go. Jesus can go. Jesus can go into the deepest areas of our life. He can penetrate into the core of our being. And Jesus, when he comes, uh, he knows exactly what we need in that moment. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, that he knows our every need before we even need them. Who needs a friend like that? I love what it says. Then he stood among them, that he was right there, in, uh, right there for them. He was right there with them, and he wasn't criticizing them. He wasn't saying, hey guys, thanks a lot. Now you see, here I am, and you guys took off running scared. And he wasn't reminding them of their failure. You guys said you're going to stick by me, and look what you did. He didn't say that. But right there in that moment, Jesus was there, and he was expressing to them his care and concern for them. And I so love that about the Lord, that even today as I walk with him, there are times I'm going to go through difficulty, that Jesus comes to me through his word, and he says, that, like Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10, where it says, Don't be afraid, for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. That's the heart of God, that, the heart of Jesus on that first Sunday. And you know, even as a pastor, I feel it sometimes, the, the people's expectations, or, you, or you'll feel it in your workplace, your boss's expectations, and like you can't do right sometimes. And I love that Jesus steps into those situations, and he knows your heart, he knows your need, he doesn't leave you lonely, and he says, it's okay, we're not going to focus on that. I'm here for you. He comes in among them, and he knows exactly what they need. He's there to help them, and he's there to speak to the very thing that all of us need to know. And what is that? Well, I can sum this up in three words. This is what Jesus speaks to that we all need. And I want to give you uh, this part of that passage. Speaking to the things that really make life worth living, Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, I came that they may have life and, and it to the fullest, that they might have it more abundantly. Or one translation says to have it more and better than they ever imagined. That's Arkansas translation that fits best for us jesus came that you might have life more and better than ever before that's really in a translation and what it is that that what is it that introduces this kind of life you know that's really the question when when a minister gets up and preaches the word of god to you it's all fine and good to say this is what happened with jesus this is what he did to the disciples but you need to leave here today different than you came god strategically brought you here whether you were a drug here he strategically got that person to drag you here or you came willingly um, and you might have rejected my candy and I'm over it but that's okay <laughs> but what the components of that kind of life that God wants all of us to know what are those components well first he wants us to know peace peace he wants us to have peace look at verse 20 then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord and Jesus said to them peace be with you 
And this is the second time he says that in three verses, so you know it's very important. When Jesus repeats himself, he's saying, I want you to get this. Jesus comes into that room where they are and full of fear, full of disillusionment. They are full of discouragement and they're aware of their failings and their shortcomings. Here's the thing about condemnation is if you are talking to people and trying to share the gospel with them, you don't need to tell them about what their problems are because whether they act uh, unaware of it or whether or not, when they lay their head down at night, I'll tell you, all of us start to go over our burdens. All of us know what our problems are. What we need is the hope of how to get past that. We need the hope of Jesus. So when you share with people about the gospel, you don't need to pinpoint every one of their sins because they carry that with them all the time and they're fully aware. And once they come into contact with Jesus and experience with Him, they'll even be more aware because they'll be ready to get rid of them. Jesus says this, I want to bring peace to you. What is peace? Oh, pastor, you know that world peace is, is not even possible. If Jesus wants everyone to have peace, that's impossible. No, he's not talking about peace with the world. He's not even talking peace with your brothers and sisters in Christ because that's often difficult too. He's talking about peace with God. That's the peace he wants us to have. And I think peace is like a diamond. It has different facets. And so when when we hear Jesus talking about peace, the facet he's talking about is strictly with God. We'll we'll talk about peace. I want to have peace with my spouse, you know. I want to just be able to ask for a sandwich without getting hollered at, right? No, she doesn't do that, you know. (laughs) But we want peace in different ways. We have different concepts of peace, different levels. We, we make peace so many different things. But, but the facet, if you were looking at a diamond in that one bright, shiniest place, that's the peace with God. And here's the situation that makes that so difficult. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So when you and I, when we sin because we're sinners, and that's really why we sin, because we're sinners, that it, it, itself, it, it, it self-creates. In itself, it creates a division, a divide between us and God. That when you talk about a relationship, like I have a relationship with my wife, and and you know what? If I let tensions get to me, and I'm sharp with her in my words, then then I feel that, you know, there's a little bit of distance. And if I keep going and I don't get a clue, hey, guys, you know, we got that time where, you know, hey, you better start making up because you go much further. It's going to last for days, right? And so, you know, you're one to draw closer. And there's no difference in how God designed our relationships with each other as with him. That when we do things that by its nature, in itself, whether you mean to or not, you have done things that cannot be in the inhabitants of God's presence and his glory, then you are in yourself separating yourself from God. God is not a mean, angry God trying to push you away. God is always trying to beckon you to him. That was what the great flood was about. That's what Jesus coming back is about. And in the end, the, the rapture, the resurrection uh, of the Lord and Savior is going to give us opportunity to go be with him for all eternity. That's what that's about. God is spotless. He is pure. He is holy. He is righteous. And because of that righteousness, men's sin separates us from God. In some senses, it's a, it's a, severe, uh, a severe mercy on his part because sin, if it were to be in his presence, it's just like the, the Ark of the Covenant. You want to know the big mystery, why people fell dead when they touched it? Because literally God allowed his glory to be inhabited in that box, in that special ornate box that was carried around. And and men could not help but have sin in lives. And if they touched it with unholy hands, they would be killed immediately. And so God, in his infinite mercy with his son dying on the cross for us, he's given us a way to be touching his presence even though we're not fully sinless. Here is God, the God of the universe, who has created man for relationship, who has created man 
uh, who knew that one day he, he created. And he also sent his son who was sinless, but made him to take on the sin of the world uh, to, to be our savior. And here is God who creates a plan that you and I might be reconciled to him, where you and I might be made right with him. And it's through his son, Jesus Christ. And that on that Good Friday that Jesus is on the cross and the Bible says uh, that this, this is one of the greatest miracles. That as he hangs on the cross, the Bible says this, God who made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God. Here is what we are talking about. It's Jesus taking our place. It's Jesus bearing our sin. And in that moment, God the Father punishing him for that sin, our sin. Uh, that the wages of sin is death, and God is loving, yes, but he's also a just God, and sin has to be punished. And for those of you who don't accept his gift of love, there's an attorney in hell. Some of us will shut that off now. We'll say, you know what, I can't buy into this. You know, what did I ever do that Jesus would have to die on the cross? What did I ever do for that? You know, we're the same people that if we had someone break into our home and, and harm one of our family members or kill them, that we'd be standing there in that courtroom, we expect that judge to deliver righteous justice on them right then. When you are the victim, you expect justice. When you're the perpetrator, you want mercy, right? And that's where we can't get through our thick heads sometimes, that God is a good God, but he's a just God because how good of a God would he be if he's willy-nilly on his justice? We want him to give us mercy and grace, but all the other people who are the bad people we want him to take care of and do it swiftly. In essence, you could say if someone doesn't receive the Savior, they have said, you know, God, um, I, I don't want anything to do with you. Um, I know you sent your son Jesus, he died. Well, I'm sorry for that, you know, because you didn't ask me first, but, but I don't want any part of that. It's almost similar to a, a soldier who in battle who might would throw himself on a landmine to save a civilian, and that civilian saying, you know what, I didn't ask him to do that. I didn't ask him to give his life for me. That, that's what we may appear to God when we're so, we're so blatantly unthankful and un, un, ungrateful for the magnitude of the sacrifice. When you, well, if you watch that video of the shroud turn and they begin, they just talk about how the wounds that are seen in that cloth, when they're able to map it out on a body, that it's, it's just atrocious. It's horrible what they did to Jesus. God, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. So he sent his son Jesus to die for us, that he took our place, he bore our punishment for our sin, that God's righteously, he righteously poured out his wrath to judge our sin on Jesus. And that when anyone believes in Jesus, we believe that he, who is who he said he is, that he died for our sin. And suddenly what happens is our sin is forgiven and he takes our unrighteousness and we take his righteousness and the result is peace. That when Jesus, when we accept him, that, that he takes our unrighteousness, he takes our, our sinfulness on him, we get to wear his righteousness. That's why I tell people when they give me a compliment about doing something that I know was Christ-like, I'm like, well, thank goodness. That just means I got out of the way long enough for him to shine through. It's really not just an act of uh, false humility. I truly understand that anything good in me is him. You know, I may make a mistake and tell you too much about myself sometimes, but honestly, there was a time in my life where I had no compassion for other people and I may have put on a good face, but I'd be none the happier to be off in Alaska somewhere away from everyone and not have to deal with anyone. That by nature, I'm a selfish person. I look out for myself. And God has had to transfuse my heart with compassion for people. That's what he does is he gives us a new heart. And so the result is peace. This is what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. 
He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. In other words, this is, this is the part that's hard for people. There must be something I have to do, Pastor CJ, to really know that I'm right with God. I, I'm, I, new believers especially, and those who had a pretty significant past, i got to do something. There must be X, Y, Z, or some kind of penance I pay, or something. But therefore, since we have been justified, made right with God by faith. In other words, when you and I believe in Him, it's, the, uh, it's like the account was settled for our sin. It's as if all the tickets have been paid, all the murder trials have been resolved, and we've been exonerated, and, and He totally removes our sin. And we look at this, it continues, Romans 5.1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In that same passage, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That means you can't be made right with God. You can't know that you're okay with God until you've accepted the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you follow Him. Now listen, in the Old Testament, people did not have God living in them. That's the new covenant. When Jesus died on the cross, we had the opportunity to have Him living, His Spirit living inside of us. Before that, Moses and others, they came and God was around them. He was with them. And he spoke to them, but God was not in them. That, that is with the Holy Spirit coming on. And so you've got to understand that sometimes we try to live like Old Testament Christians where we have God around us, we have knowledge of His Word, we have knowledge of His workings, we may communicate with Him, but we don't have Him in us. I've heard testimonies of people who have been on staff at large churches who have been a part of vibrant ministries and did it for decades only to realize they never accepted the Lord as their, as their Savior and later, after decades of ministry, accept the Lord. How do you do that? Because you may know of Him, you know, may know about Him, but is he in relationship with you, in you, through you? And so, you know, our, our world on the outside is a reflection of what's going on, on the inside. You can't hide it, especially from those who have the Holy Spirit living in them. You may think you're hiding what's going on, on the inside, but it comes out in evidence in the things you say, the things you do, how you live. And when you and I have peace with God, suddenly it makes it possible for us to have peace with those around us. You say, how so? Because suddenly I have the capacity to love others with a love that goes beyond my ability. You see, the peace I have with others is not because all of a sudden my relationships are easier. It's all of a sudden I don't get so bent when people do foolish things or say hurtful things. You know? Pastor, I'll sure be glad when you can preach better. You know? Whew, off. Why? In the natural? Right? <laughs> You take God out of this whole thing we're doing here and we'd all be in trouble. It might end in the parking lot badly, right? For everyone. Because we say things to other believers we think is okay because, hey, they'll get over it. We get really this kind of this ticket to say what we want. But we're accountable for our words. The only difference is, is we're not seeing that accountability happen because that ticket's, that, that's run, that register's running up with God, the things we say. But we can say it to each other and think, okay, they'll get over it. Well, yeah, pastor's got thick skin, but I remember. No, I'm kidding. I'll wait till heaven and I'll tell on you. Romans chapter 5 says that he poured his love into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. That literally by him pouring his love into our hearts. That God gives us the cap capacity to love like Jesus loved. And that God gives us the uh, ability to let go. That realizing how much we've been forgiven to let go uh, uh, when others wrong us and to forgive them. One of my favorite things God's been pulling into conversation at the Brahmin home is um, when we start to get you know, a little bit torqued about something and we're like, okay, that bothers me. We're like, well, good thing the Brahmins are perfect, right? Because that calls us into question, right? We know we're not perfect, so all of a sudden there's humility that comes and says, all right, we've done that and worse, I'm sure. 
I need to back off. But right, the Lord brings that into our conversations and we realize when we start to get bent about something that someone might have done, we're like, the Lord is gracious to us. We need to give the same grace back. And this is what we're talking about, that He infuses your heart. He pulls His Holy Spirit into you. And in those moments when your natural carnal self would want to just lash out and gossip and, and backbite and, and think I'm in the safety of my home or I'm the safety on the computer screen and I can just say what I want to say and I'll really get them. And you know what? All those Trump haters, I'm going to send them right to hell with my words. When we get in those moments, the Holy Spirit says, whoa, whoa, whoa. What did Jesus do for you? Does Obama have less opportunity than you do? Is it a sliding scale that God has where you're somehow elevated and, and because of his past, you know, or whatever he's done, that somehow you are getting to stand in judgment now? When you're at peace with God, he can give you peace in your home. He can give you peace in your relationships. He can give you peace in your heart and mind, but not because the other people are acting better. It's because you've learned how to let the grace that you've been given cover a multitude of sins, just like it did for you. And so the New Testament talks about this peace that passes all understanding. It's a peace that goes beyond circumstances. It's a peace in the midst of any circumstance, and it's a peace Jesus gives. And he comes to them and he says, listen, I want you to know peace. And that's why he wants, he wants everyone in this room to have the peace with God that he intended those disciples that day to have. So that suddenly you're no longer separated from God, but you're walking with God. You're no longer distant from God, but God is near and God is with you and God is going before you. And now you're experiencing his power. And now you have a relationship in a way you never imagined. And Jesus says, peace be unto you. I want to move quickly through the last two things. I told you I'd give you three things about this passage. Three, three words that are significant about this. The second thing he says I find very interesting and it's that it has to do with what we would call purpose. He wants us to know purpose for which He created us. Which simply is to say this, you are not here by accident. You are not, you're, in, in this world of over 7 billion people, God knows exactly who you are. He knows everything about you, and He cares about you, and, and your birth was not accidental, it was not incidental, and that you're not an afterthought, and that you're not here to try to figure it all out, out by yourself. And look what He says to the disciples in John 20, 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Jesus is going back to the right hand of the Father. He's sending the Holy Spirit for power for us to go out and be witnesses. What are we witnessing about? The very thing he did in us. The disciples, what he did in them, he's going to spread it. The fact that he stood in that room and instead of accusing them of their failures, said, peace be with you, he wants us to take that peace to the world. Here's what he's saying, disciples, I have a purpose for you. Now imagine this, they're filled with disappointment, with disillusionment. They're discouraged because they, they failed him. But here is Jesus, and Jesus has a purpose for them. And I'm telling you that, uh, that it's the purpose you couldn't even begin to imagine. We don't really know every bit in detail about what happened after that point in each one of their lives, but we know that many of them went to their death for their belief in Christ. Horrible deaths. One of the joys for me as a pastor is to be able to see people as a new Christian and see the light come on as they begin to learn more about Christ and they begin to find His purpose in their life. You, you begin to find, I remember Isaac, and he's not here this morning and maybe second service, but Isaac, when I first met him, and he had just come to know Christ, and literally the day he got out of jail, and we prayed for Isaac, those of you that were here during that time, you know, he was facing charges and everything, and God delivered him, and 
I remember the light coming on. He just come into the church. The first place he left our jail came and, and found me here. And he's like, I'm so excited. And you could just see it beaming. And as he learned more about God, it was all new to him. And he just said, I'm just, I'm just hungry to know more about him. And so that's a joy for me. Because here's the thing. God sees things in us that we don't see in ourselves. God is working in our lives, but we don't see some of the things that he sees in us. That God's not just saving us from something, but to something. He's not just trying to save you from destruction, but on to being prosperous. And I'm not talking about finances. I'm talking about prospering in his kingdom. God sees us, what we don't see ourselves. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, Paul says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Which means, do you realize that God, when he created you, he had a purpose in mind. And so God gifted you. And that gift is in residence in you with him and in your mind, in your person. And that God created that, you, that in you before you were even born. That he had decided what gift he was going to give you since the beginning of time. And it's when you come to that place, when you know that you're truly doing that which you were created to do, and none of us can ever know that outside of Christ. We may search, we may try. God, what am I meant to do in life? You know, I'm running this conveyor belt at work. I can't imagine this is my purpose, right? But outside of Christ, we can never find that kind of fulfillment. We might find some measure of fulfillment in, in some tangible relationship or finance or whatever, but we're not going to find it that has divine joy that words cannot express. Here is Peter, and if he would have asked Jesus, what do you think my purpose is, Jesus? Jesus would have possibly said exactly what I can tell you about your purpose this morning. You can't even begin to imagine. You can't even begin to imagine what God may have in store for you. It's easy to see me up here and think, okay, that's easy for you to say because you've been now called into ministry and you're doing God's work and there's no question about what you're doing for God. Oh, yes, there is. I can be in danger of doing this for the wrong reasons just like you can anything in your life. Here's the deal. God is not just called pastors, preachers, evangelists, and teachers in the church. He's mobilized an army of people to go out into the highways and byways and to reach into people's life with the gospel, with your testimony, and for the same grace and the same peace that's been offered to you to offer it to others. Your purpose, your purpose is to multiply that which God has given you in others. Can't even begin to imagine. And it's a good thing that God doesn't tell us in terms of the good things he wants to do, the whole magnitude. Because I can just imagine if God had told me 20 years ago what he'd be asking me to do now, I would have been like Jonah and hopped in a ship and gone overseas. And I can tell you, my parents will tell you, of the four kids in our family, I'm the one that can stay gone. I'm the one that can hide. You know, the others, as soon as dinner time came, they want to come home from church camp. I'm like, nope, get me on a train. Let's go to the next one. I can be gone. So, so you've got to understand that, that God doesn't always tell us everything ahead because we, for one, it would blow our mind. And second, we'd probably be under a chair saying, no, I can't do it. It's not me. Some of you say that to me when I just ask you if you want to participate in some ministry event. Oh, pastor, I'm not. No, I don't, I don't speak in front of people. Oh, pastor, I don't do that. No, I can't hand out Kleenexes. I'm a, I'm a germaphobe. why we have hand sanitizer i mean you can't imagine peter just a few days before he denied christ and after this counter the holy spirit comes upon him and he's completely different 
And you say, how quick does this happen? If I allow the Holy Spirit to come into my life, how quick does that power come on me? Almost immediately. But really, you don't really notice it as much until you're back down the road a ways and you're looking back at what God's done in your life. Then you see, wow, the Holy Spirit lit me up. I didn't know in junior high, when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I didn't make the connection that all of a sudden, you know, I didn't think about the fact that I was hiding my Christianity. And, and the next week when I get back, or the next after summer when I get back, I can't be shut up about it. But looking back, I realized there was a big transformation that happened. Here's Peter within 50 days. He's standing up front of the city of Jerusalem after they'd hid out, after Peter had denied him three times in a key part of the city. He's out there saying, you killed the king of glory and you have an opportunity to repent. Now take, take that for a street preacher. After just 50 days after Jesus was slaughtered, right? And he sees him rose again and the Holy Spirit, Jesus breathes on him and the Holy Spirit. And then he's standing up saying, come on at me. You have a chance for repentance, but I'm not afraid of you. Here is Peter, and for the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts, he's like a rocket. I mean, this guy's doing amazing things. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's preaching God's word. And God is using him in an awesome way that I'm sure he would never have imagined, even if God had tried to tell him. In fact, you know what the Bible says about our future in Christ? And let me back up to that. You know, here's something. Here's a little bit of truth in that. It's funny. If God had told Peter what he had been doing, Peter still would have denied him three times you believe that it's true if god were to tell you now everything he has planned for the next 20 years for you if you follow him you'd still have a rough time but here's the deal peter didn't need to be the one telling god i'll stand by you jesus had to show up in front of him and say peace be with you i'm here with you and i'm going to give you the power to do it god is using him in an awesome way that i'm sure he would never have imagined in fact, you know what the Bible says about our future in Christ? Not even heaven, because heaven is more wonderful than we can imagine. We have no reference point other than the Bible. But the Bible says this about our future now. Uh, listen to it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. That it is what the Scripture means when it says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind can imagine what God has prepared for those who love Him. This is the thing about how we're, we're walking with God. You can't imagine. Your eye can't see it. Your ear can't hear it. Your mind can't imagine what God has prepared for your purpose. And this is one of the exciting things that really one of the great joys of walking with Christ is to watch him take, uh, take us places we never would imagine we'd go. When we, when we finally break ground on that building, you know, if you, you can't be me, you know, and I don't expect you to understand the gravity of it. But I'm not even sure how I'll hold it together when I see that first dirt push because, like I said, there's such a, bit of, such a weight on me about seeing this prophecy about new song come to fulfillment. And God is working and God is helping us and God is going before us and God is fulfilling His purpose in our lives when we allow Him to. Just quickly, as we close, the last one, power. Because you see, the real thing that trips us up causes us concern. As you might say, we, well, we have a purpose but I can barely get done uh, in life what I have now. This is where most of you will be right now, and, and I'm not trying to be harsh on you, but where most of you will be right now is, Pastor CJ, I'm just living life as much as I can possibly live it. I don't see how I could do much more than I'm doing now. But you see, this is where the power of God comes in, because we can't do it on our own. We weren't intended to. That's not the point of any part of the Scripture, as us doing it on our own. 
We hear, or we hear, this is what God wants us to do. This is the way God wants us to live. And there's some of you here today that are saying, I just don't know that I could do it. I just don't know if I can do this. And, and, and here's what I would say to you. Then let God do it for you. Because Christianity is not about do, do, do. It's about be and be and be. It's God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves from the beginning, and that's save us from our sins. Save us from ourselves, really. It's God showing us purpose we could never imagine from the beginning. It's God who reveals it uh, to us. It's God empowering us to fulfill His purpose for His creation by His mighty will. Listen to this in John chapter 20, verse 22. And when He had said this, He breathed. He breathed, light. He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. I know there's been some evangelists and things have done some kooky things i would even say with the holy spirit living in me and operating in the gifts of the spirit sometimes it's kooky to me but i tell you what i remember when i was filled with the holy spirit it did feel like the breath of god being breathed on me and i've had people pray for me and as the holy spirit uh, came on them they just began to breathe out i could feel his spirit just come over me you see, what's happening here? Now they've heard the gospel. They've heard the truth. They've committed their life earlier to following the Lord. They want to be with Jesus. They, they, they do love him, but now we've seen, they've come to know he is not only God, but he is the one who died for their sin. And like Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, where Paul says this, taking, talking about how salvation is received. Romans 9, 10, 9. Because if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's what's happened. Now all of a sudden they're saved. It's not just a passive mental decision. It's, it's not just an emotional decision. It, that says, okay, now it's not just, okay, now I'm going to be a Christian. I'm just going to follow what the pastor said and I'm going to be a Christian. No, it's I want to follow Christ. I'm willing to go uh, to any place he takes me. I'm willing to, to go out on this adventure, even if it means my death. What literally, what happens literally is a total makeover of our heart. Scripture tells us that. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. It is passed away. Behold, everything is new. Some of you can't imagine God doing anything new. And you've been to an altar and you prayed and you're like, I got up and felt the same. Well, there is something broken down in that because, was, because when we come to God with, with a contrite heart and we truly pour out to him and we're at a point like we say, I can't do this anymore on my own, he will meet us there. And I guarantee you, it won't be the same when you leave. It's why Jesus called it being born again. It's like you're the same person, but you're not. You're different. And how does this happen? Because when a person puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in their heart. And suddenly you're not just walking with God in a sense of Him being on the outside like in the Old Testament, but you're walking with Him being on the inside. So at this point, we know that he, He's shown His power. Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verses 19 to 20. I also pray that you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in Him. What is this power? This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. When you watch that shroud turn, if that's the burial cloth of Jesus, that same power that burned that image in there in a time when there's no technology to do that, that same power that raised Lazarus from the dead, it's the same power that take the old dead you and raise you to life. It's the same power. There's not a different power. It's the same power of God. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. 
It's power to raise uh, him from the dead and it's power uh, to have him ascend and it's power to raise you from the dead. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16, I pray that, our, that out of this glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And so what he does, he puts a spirit in me to empower me to walk with purpose that I could not do on my own. He said, my peace be with you. I want, to have pe- I want you to have peace, the peace with God. He said, I'm going to send you out. I have purpose for you. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. I'm going to empower you to fulfill it. And that's the power of the resurrected Christ and the power to resurrect you. And that is Easter. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time this moment lord when your holy spirit has has delivered your word lord that we have come into your presence and god we have felt your presence here and this is a a vital time for some because lord this may be a turning point for them from now to to eternity that god right now as the holy spirit spoke to their heart let it not be me my words let me be out of the way lord but let your words ring true in the spirit and draw everyone unto you everybody is, has their head bowed eyes closed I want to just take a moment if there's someone here this morning and you say I, I have heard God's word and Pastor CJ I, I need to make a change let me correct that wording no you need Jesus to make the change this doesn't depend on you other than you taking a step of faith right now if you're here this morning and you need me to pray with you I'm not going to I'm not going to call you up here to the front, although the Bible says we should not be ashamed of him in front of people, or he'll be ashamed of us in front of the Father. But this isn't about embarrassment. The reason I'm not having you get out of your seat is I want you to have time in that moment to really communicate with God. If you're here this morning and you need to make a, a you need a change made in your life, and you want to follow Christ, I want you to just raise your hand so I can pray for you. There's going to be you know, there, there's no guarantee in our lives about how many opportunities God gives us to do this. We have opportunity every second of the day, but, but that moment when we've heard His Word, when we leave the environment where we're hearing God's Word and, it, and it's prompting our heart to make a decision, if we walk away from that moment, how sure are we that we're going to still take that opportunity another time? Because we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised another minute. And I can't feel that I've done what the Lord has asked me to do until I give every opportunity for each one of us to know that if we died today, we died at this very moment where we would spend eternity, either eternal separation from God and torment or eternal life with Him. One more opportunity. If you're here and you want to make that decision to call Christ, I want you to just raise your hand so I can pray for you. pray that we've all made that decision and if you didn't and you want to contact me later and you want to talk about that or pray about that I'd be so honored to do that for the rest of us here this is our opportunity as you you look forward with me here each one of us you can look forward now this is our challenge on this Easter Sunday that's not just about Easter eggs while that's fun it's not just about candy for the kids this is about what Christ has done for you and for you to go out and to offer that same peace that he's given you. Amen. Jesus, thank you as we...
go, I pray that you bless each one. Let your face shine down upon them and let them go with your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless y'all. Have a happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday.